This episode of The Cool Ship brought to you by the beautiful stained glass creations of Neely Cooper. You may have seen Neely's work featured on Etsy, Carbon Made, Instagram, Facebook, and many other destinations on the interwebs. Check out Neely's portfolio on glasscabinstudio.com. And on a personal note, I must say it's a beautiful website. Well done, Neely. Okay, on with the show. This show is made by Carl, run by Carl. Everything's done by Carl. We just happen to have two buffoons talk the entire time. Here is the podcast. (laughs) Welcome to the Cool Ship Podcast, dedicated to beer lovers, home brewers, and professionals alike. With your hosts, Warren, the Professor Wilson, and Matt, Zigmeister Ziggler. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grab a beer and chill on the cool ship. podcast we're back live well recorded we're, we're live. live right now yeah we're live right now until he cuts our shit um he being our producer no i didn't mean cut our shit like but just cut. we don't like to give him credit no we don't um, we try <laughs> to keep him in line he's got a big enough head where'd he go he's giving us the finger i can't <laughs> see him <laughs> welcome to the cool shit podcast i'm warren Oh, I'm Matt. Yeah, that was a little... I don't know why I did that. (laughs) (laughs) And we're bringing you uh, some interesting information for this month of June. I think last time we talked, uh, we had our May episode, but these days they tend to run together. So a lot's happened um, since our last show. I mean, we... we, Well, shit, I don't remember what we talked about because that was a quad show, but... <laughs> it was. It was a lot. A lot going on there. Oh, you remember exactly what we talked about. We just talked about it before. Your long balls and everything. Like oh that. yeah, that's right. Well, that was. Wait, <laughs> how come it always ends up with long balls or someone saying yes to a situation that? Yeah, we'll get there. I guess. <laughs> we get there every time. <laughs> I know. Can't <laughs> help it. It's intriguing. Um. So today, uh, we're we're here to talk to you about a couple of things. Some nuances of what's going on with. Uh, Homebrew University, Zygmeister Brewing Company, NJ Hops as a club. And uh, we have a special guest uh, who uh, took overall Bester Der Besten uh, Das Boot competition for NJ Hops this year. And uh, we'll have more in store with him. Is Robert Giaquinta. Um, and he won with an outstanding Pilsner, which is Really refreshing, and uh, these days unheard of, because most of the time you hear, oh, it's an IPA, an IPA, an IPA, but it's, it's, been, uh, it's been really refreshing to hear that, you know, the judges really dug the Pilsner that was made, and uh, from everyone that I talked to, and we'll get to sample that tonight, which is great, because I didn't get to taste it, but everyone I talked yeah, to who had it, they said it was fucking phenomenal. Looking forward to it. So um, with that, uh, I'm going to go right into what we did as far as a, a club, and I'll, I'll get to you in a second, Robert. Um, but uh, for our club, we held our second annual competition. We grew from, one, I think it was 167 last year to 280 this year, um, which is over 100 more contestants 
uh, and we're growing on a steady pace, just like the other clubs have grown over the years. I think Scuba's competition was the longest standing competition for a while. How many years you guys have so, done that? Uh, last year was the 20th uh, competition. So, we're, yeah, this year is 21st, and we've had a steady increase over the years as well. You know, That's great. Yeah, so uh, last year was 340. Wow. And we'll see if it goes bigger this year. I'm sure yeah. it will. That's really cool. Uh, I I like the smaller competitions because I haven't done a bigger competition. I don't know what's in store for me. But uh, as we grow, we grow 100 at a clip. I mean, that's 100% increase in participation, whether it was, you know, people getting in. I think we have a cap at eight. Do you guys have a cap this year for scuba? I heard there was no cap. The cap develops as the uh, number of judges who are committed I mean, per um, entry, like so. Oh, per person? Per person. There's yeah. no cap. No, uh, however many styles there are, 32 styles or whatever it so is. So I can go up to 32 styles? You can go, you can go up to 32 styles. Obviously, no one's ever going to do that unless Jeff Baker comes out with 32 different <laughs> It's possible. <laughs> and Jeff, I hope you're listening. Congratulations. I'm still looking. At, I was just looking at your ribbons. And yes, we will get those ribbons out this week, I promise. Uh, it's just been a little hectic here. So getting back to NJ Hops, um, we had a growth in our competition, we actually did this last year at a special event called the Taste of the Town, which no longer exists. So we kind of developed uh, a relationship with Hackettstown, and Hackettstown put on uh, what is known as the f- their first annual MyFest. And on the tails of the Oktoberfest, which was run by Hackettstown last year as well, but a good influence from Zygmeister Brewing Company, uh, which is a great segue for me. Um, so we had a really good success with that competition. We just became 501c7 organized, which is an also a great step for our club. If you're looking to come out and support a really fantastic club, it's NJ Hops, and we meet uh, in two locations, one here at Homebrew University the first Wednesday of every month from 7.30 to 10, and then the other is at Cask and Kettle. Uh, I believe they start at 7, and it's uh, the second Thursday of the month. Um, both of our meetings had just hit off for June. So our next meeting is in July and I think they're back to back because our meeting tends to fall on the holiday or close, very close to it. So we're on the 11th and I think they're on the 12th and getting back and we had our competition. We held the tent, uh, the judging tent over at Zygmaster Brewing Company. And if I'm not mistaken, you had one hell of a day that day. Oh Um, yeah, it was, it was insane. Um, this is Matt, by the way. Yeah. Hi Matt. Hey, Warren. Uh, <laughs> who was that? I don't know. Yeah, He's, he, he, gallery. <laughs> um, Get him out! <laughs> no, it was it was a great day. Uh, we've kind of been previously judging everything, all the special events that we do, to how well Oktoberfest went last year, and that was the first Oktoberfest right. the town had really put together, um, and it, it went off wonderfully. Um, we had, I think I've mentioned, we've had like, 1,500 to 2,000 people come through on that day. Um, and then since then, we held a couple other events, but our big push was also for the MyFest. And um, we were a little concerned going into it. I mean, there was definitely a good amount of preparation on our, on our part going right. going in. Uh, you know, we, we've all been planning it uh, with the town event committees and stuff like that for months. But it was just whether people would be able to get down with the idea of a Oktoberfest in spring. Right. Because um, that's pretty much what the MyFest is. Yep. It's the celebration. 
of spring. Of life. Of spring, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, getting everything ready for planting and whatnot, uh, surviving the winter. Right. So... Um, you made it. <laughs> yeah, you made it. Have a drink. Uh, go plant. Um, so it went really well. I mean, we had the competition over there. I think that ran really well. We had all the stuff in the cooler. I wasn't able to do as much as I wanted to as the cellar master to help out the second half. Right. But we had uh, a good crew of volunteers be able to really pull that through. Um, but there were, we had just as many people come through for Oktoberfest as we did in Mayfest and or MyFest and. Uh, it kind of surprised me a little bit because, you know, so many people know about Oktoberfest, not as many people know about MyFest, but I guess, you know, now that we can really seem to pull together a good event for the town, my hope is that now moving forward into all the next events that we do, it just brings more and more people into town. I can only imagine what Oktoberfest this year is going to be. Right, right. Um, and that's going to be three days of not only drinking, but there's... so. The goal for our festivals that we have put in place is to bring people to Hackistown to actually showcase the job, uh, the businesses in Hackistown, and not only the beer, but you know, with that comes along the showcasing of whoever's in Hackistown can participate in this festival. It's and I, I think people who have participated, especially the people who were questionable at the Oktoberfest, found out that they can do really well if they participate. They have participated without question in the Mayfest. For my fest, and I think you know, as soon as people start realizing that this is the kind of thing that brings in outsiders from Hackistown, that the businesses in Hackistown will thrive a little bit better. And I don't know about you, but as of the l- difference between last year and this year, there was a ton more people walking up down Main Street, yeah, um, going shopping, and that's that's what you know, little shops that's we need. I mean, Hackistown has that walking town that feel, we just, it just right. needs more of. Uh, People to know that it's still here right. and, you know, to come on down and see, you know, what the town has to offer right. and to be able to put together an event that can pull these people into town to have them see what Hackettstown still is, I think is great. Now, uh, Robert, um, who is our guest, has, uh, I believe he lives in Stanhope? No, actually up in, in uh, Sparta. Oh, he lives up in Sparta. Yeah. Um, nothing uh, too shabby about Sparta. you got a bunch of beer scene up there, too. Um, how much of Hackistown have you known before getting involved in in beer and brewing? I mean, is is did this kind of thing make you more aware of what's going on? And I, I was I was blown away by my fest. Um, I don't have much experience with Hackistown. I've been to this shop here um, a couple times over the past few years. I live in Sparta, so I have a shop nearby, which is where I mostly go. But right. um, I've been down here a couple times. And but other than that, um, I've driven through Hackettstown, but there hasn't been too much of an attraction. But then to see my fest and to be in the parking lot at Zigmeister and that brewery is to me such an amazing spot that it's, it's ever since that weekend, I I say every like every weekend, I'm like, maybe we should just drive down to Hackettstown and go hang out because it really is like <laughs> one of my favorite. I lived in Colorado several times uh, on and off in my life and um it reminds me of that kind of vibe as far as a larger 
um, spot for a brewery where people can hang out. I, you have more space than most New Jersey places do, Thank most you. local places do. Um, and the whole place just looked so good that day that um, it really did kind of wake me up to, oh, this, is a, this, this town is a cool town. There's some stuff going on. And I would be happy to, you know, come down here. I'm looking forward to Oktoberfest, you know. Uh, so it, it really, it, I think it was an eye-opener, hopefully, for other people other than me. But That's know. cool to hear from, an, uh, you know, uh, an outsider. And what was cool about the MyFest was we had, uh, I don't know, we had a lot more involvement with vendors, but the MyPole. That was, I have <laughs> pictures of the MyPole and the people that were doing the dancing. And they were, I, I wasn't able to go. I was actually stuck here for most of the day. But when I saw these pictures, I'm like, wow, that's exactly what it should look like. And that's exactly what should happen at my fest. And, look at, you know, you see these pictures and there's just crowds of people gathered around watching and intrigued by what's going on and having a great time. Everyone was safe. Everyone was happy. The beer was great, you know. And you do something special, too, during that day, Matt, with a special tapping of a barrel. Uh, so it kind of brings it back to the day of yeah you know and that's that's really neat um and there's people around and just celebrating and um we have a really good time so um i'm yeah you can things got that. kind of intense during the barrel uh rolling competition <laughs> yes. i don't know did you see that yeah there were uh <laughs> yeah we, we do a few events also during the time and and one thing we did during oktoberfest we definitely wanted to bring back for my fest was the barrel roll and the, people get heated with that barrel roll and i mean there the the difficulty always with that there's a couple things it's making sure the contestants don't run each other over with each other's barrels and making sure the barrels really don't go flying off into the crowds of people now they go in opposite directions do they not they like, they do go in opposite directions but then they have to cross each other cross and go other, back yeah. down so a lot of times they end up like butting heads with the barrels and stuff like that and this one guy what uh his, his the way he would do it is as he was going around the corner he would pick it up onto the edge of the barrel to try to scoot it around the guy without running into him because the other person was always losing control of the barrel. And on his way back down a couple times, it almost looked like he was going to like clip his fingers on the other barrel or <laughs> drop it on his foot or hit the other guy with it. And I'm just like, did like, he win? It was like death race. But yeah, he was, he was, I think he was always the winner of, of each one. He just had this like technique. I don't know he if he's been practicing it. I don't know if he's like at home practicing it every day since Oktoberfest. <laughs> Next thing you know, we got to get a front end loader in to dig a hole in a trench in the parking lot. Fill it with water so we can have a barrel race just standing, you know, running on the barrels. <laughs> you have big dreams. Yeah, Very no, big dreams. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> so, um, I mean, with that said, uh, Matt, why don't you give us a little insight of what's going on with uh, with the brewery. Yeah, uh, a lot of... A lot of stuff going on for the uh, for the future. We just had, um, and speaking about the the MyFest event, we just had another event at the brewery. We had our one year anniversary. Um, great time over there. Just about the same amount of people as we had for MyFest come on through. Um, How many barrels in that year did you brew? Uh, we made fifteen hundred barrels last year. Fifteen hundred. We were expecting a thousand. We ended up hitting fifteen hundred. I'd made a post at one point about making our hundredth batch a, a week or so before our anniversary. Um, on the 15 barrel system and uh, we're going to be getting more tanks in um, to be adding to capacity we're already at the point now because the main, one of the main reasons we're getting the tanks is because of the fact that we're canning now and getting that out into uh, liquor stores and because of that with all the different brands that we want to be canning because we have the, the five year rounds the 
uh, Kolsch, Pale Ale, Amber Ale, Stout, and IPA. We want to get all of those into cans, and then um, at the end of summer, uh, getting into fall, be able to start putting the Oktoberfest into cans. So the moment we get these tanks in, we were already maxed out capacity again, which puts us into... 30-barrel tanks? Uh, I mean, yeah, they're all going... All, all of these batches are going into 30-barrel tanks, but um, uh, the, the new ones coming in, they're the same same manufacturer, 30-barrel fermenters, two more. Um, but we're maxing these guys out, and uh, it's looking like it could potentially be by next anniversary if we don't get any more tanks in, which we may need to also. Yeah, capacity. But be right around 4,000 barrels of production. That's pretty year two, good. Yeah. Uh, anniversary two. But uh, this past anniversary was, you know... It was a blast. Just the other day, uh, we had just under 30 beers on tap, I think 28 or 29, um, showcasing all of the beers that people rated on untapped. Um, We took everything that was over four stars that people had rated, and we took a list of those, and we picked our, or my favorite, 12 of those. And then we announced that we were going to be releasing those in addition to our regular ones, and then I made like another six or so on top of it. Um, and then we had all those guys out there, plus we had some merchandise discounts. We had the anniversary bottle sale of Abacab, which is uh, a the barley wine apple cider blend fermented in bourbon barrels with champagne yeast on vanilla and cinnamon. Um, it really, if you haven't had it, try to see if you can, because it's it's a style all its own. It's nothing I can describe toward any other style. Right. Um, plus we have uh, still bottles of Dark Sovereign, uh, we were selling and uh, shipwright in cans as well as the Admiral's flagship double IPA uh, Galaxy version in, in cans. So all that was going nice and smooth. We had just about everybody on the payroll from the brewery in there helping out, plus some family members decided to stop on by and help out also. Uh, so it was just it was just a fun time. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I know I was uh, worked all day, but uh, kept sending people over there and saw some people come in from there and couldn't wait to get over there myself so uh when i closed up i made way over there but unfortunately you know family of three kids you know stayed as long as i could yeah i wish i I could have stayed all night i could have closed that you know you know i could have closed your place but i I couldn't do it that night but now um, with with that insane amount of different number of uh beers that you had are the are you doing everything uh, the same size. Like, are you doing smaller batches for one-offs? Or are you? Yeah, we have our we have our pilot system, a twenty-gallon setup in the back um, that most of our specialties go through. It's called our forge system, um, and anything that I do really specialty uh, that's completely different than anything else that I make tends to go through that system. There are certain things like I made um, pineapple IPA for the day, and that's just I took uh, a keg from Shipwright and I added. Uh, four pounds of fresh pineapple, and I just let it sit on top of that, and that's how I made the pineapple. So I didn't have to make an extra batch for that one, but I still had to make sure I had a tank open to be able to sit the beer on the pineapple. But for other things like, um, uh, what were some of the other ones? I can't even think. Um, the single hop IPAs that we put on, um, all of those were made through the the back system. We made uh, the Stout Point, I think it was Stout Point 2, Stout Point 3, um, was a uh, golden syrup and rooibos tea ale. Um, what we do is if any of our, any, anybody that works in the brewery wants to brew something, they, uh, they come up to me and like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about this beer. And I'm like, okay, what style of beer do you want to make? And they typically pick, you know, I mean, 
none of them is ever regular. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> is normal. They're always thinking about a bunch of different flavors. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds like a base of something close to this style of beer. I'm like, look up this, put a recipe together, come back to me with the recipe, and you get to brew it. So they either brew with myself or with any of the other assistant brewers there that also know how to use the pilot system, and then they put their own beer through, and we put it up there as either first name or last name, point whatever version of the batch that they've done. Wow. So Kirsten Stout, our event planner and coordinator of everything else in the brewery that either myself or my dad or my salesperson doesn't do, um, decided to put the Roybo's Tea Golden Syrup beer together, and I think it turned out really well. It had like almost like a... Uh, earthy, herbally, black tea sort of flavor in there with a little bit of sweetness from the golden syrup. Um, and it was very different. Uh, but it's like all that stuff goes on that pilot system in the back, and it's pretty much one 50-liter keg and a sixtal hmm. that we get out of that, and then that's what goes through. And we, uh, we were able to get everything that we wanted to on tap. We didn't kick every keg we weren't expecting to. Um, we just wanted to get through that first round of stuff to make sure all the all the varieties of stuff that we wanted to put on were able to get on. And I think uh, of the, you know, how, however many was it, 20, 20 specialty kegs that we put on that day, um, I think we have like eight left over. That's what you so, want. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely a great turnout. Um, and you want to turn over those. Yeah. You know, that's, that's great news. I mean, that's uh, just goes to show. I mean. And we'll keep, you know, we'll keep doing these different festivals going forward with all these different specialty stuff. The next big event that we have um, that's between now and Oktoberfest, we have Hopfest. Uh, that'll be August. We haven't pinned down the exact date for it yet. Um, around uh, Hop Harvest time? Yeah, right about then. Late August? Uh, probably mid to late August, yeah. Mid, mid to late um, August. And uh, last year, I think we had 16 varieties. Uh but then for Stout Fest, we did 54 different stouts. So we're probably going to do something around like 35 or 30, 34, 35 maybe. We'll see what we can get in. I don't want to make too many because if I do too much, right. that means that I'm holding beers for too long. Yeah, in the process. absolutely. All no, this stuff sense. has to be fresh. Yeah. You know, we're talking about pretty much everything there is going to be dry hopped or whatever. So I want to make sure that it's all fresh beer. Like to, <clears> uh, like to go revisit that fresh hop ale. That we did last year. Oh, yeah. No, I think yeah. that'd be awesome. The one we did with, uh, with Fur Farm. With Fur Farm, yeah. Um, so there'll be Imperial IPAs, regular IPAs, Pale Ales. There'll be um, a bunch of different American styles, American Reds, American Browns, Black IPAs. Sour uh, IPAs. What's that? Red IPAs. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, rye we'll, IPAs. We'll have uh, IPAs. rye IPAs. We'll have uh, a bunch of fruited um, IPAs as well, so there'll be plenty of variety of stuff going on. How'd that watermelon go over? I wasn't there for the tapping, but... It, it went well. Um, we still got a little bit left, and I think all these Good. specialties will carry over into this weekend. We might have a couple extras to add on to it that we typically will add new stuff through the week, um, but I think for the most part we'll have these guys on through the weekend to kind of kill them off. Good. Good. But uh, Abacab will stay on tap, so if people want to come in and give it a try before getting a bottle... Um, we have a few kegs of that left, and then the rest will be for holding on to or for sale out to, you know, a few of our top um, top accounts. Do you have uh, is Abacab petulant? Is it still? Is it? Oh no, it's extremely rocky. Is it no, foamy? It's, it's, it's average carbonation, like regular carb. Um, like a cider? Not as high as a cider. Uh, it definitely has more cider quality to it because it's a little over. It's about almost fifty five. It's fifty five percent cider. Um, so it's definitely got a little more apple quality to the back of it, 
but it's it's still ale. Uh, it's got some spice character in there too. What's the uh, alcohol on that one? Uh, eight and a half. Yeah, so it's not overly heavy or no. with alcohol. It'll probably age nicely. I wouldn't say it'll age probably as much as Dark Sovereign will. Right. I think Dark Sovereign can go a few years yeah. e- easy. No problem. You get like six bottles of that, and you can probably think... have one every six months and still be getting a new taste every time you pull it out. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you can last that long with no. that beer, though. No, I think... I think that beer goes probably... down too easy. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the issue. <laughs> it's really good. So, um, <clears throat> in about, I guess we're going to take a little break here. Yep. Um, my eyeballs are, uh, my plums are floating. Um, plums are floating. <laughs> they're floating, and so are my eyeballs. Um, and on the, on the way back, on the flip side of this uh, this little break that we're going to have, I think Carl's buried back there. He's trying to find... Uh, I think he's sleeping. He's, no, he's doing that cellaring that, you know, happened that cellaring, you know, you were like scrambling looking for those oh, bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's back there looking for second place winners. Uh, and I'm like, dude, you're never going to find them. Just pick the beer. Just, <laughs> just drink whatever's there. Um, so okay, well he's maybe back we'll, there. Maybe we'll help him out in the interim here. Pulling his hair out. We'll be back in two and two, but on the way back, we'll be talking to Robert about uh, his history in brewing and uh, his Get a taste. taste of his. And, and grab, grab his and uh, yeah. taste his. Uh, we're not talking about beer here, are we? Yeah, we are, right? I, I hope so. I hope so, too. Well, you can um, taste his. I'll drink his beer. <laughs> <laughs> and see what, uh, what he has to say. So stick around, two and two. Uh, welcome back. We are with the Cool Ship uh, Podcast. Don't mind the sounds in the background. That's just our beer getting ready to be served. I'm very excited about this. This is the best of show. Pilsen beer. And put him up on a pedestal. And look at this. He's got this device best now. Best of the best. Mm-hmm. Das Beste der Besten. Um, he's got this little device's paintball machine thing going on here. And it's very, what do they call that? Steampunk um, is what steampunk. I think. Steampunk, oh, yes, you, yeah. that is very steampunk. What, what is that that tap handle there? It looks like a little finger, like you can take your girlfriend and go, pleasure her really well. That hasn't been tried, nor would I expect it to be tried. No, no. That actually is a tap handle made by one of the scuba club members, Dave Passaic. Scratch that on the list when we get this taped. Take that out of the the the, the taping. Put it uh, at the end. That's a beautiful tap handle. Where did you get? Put it right at the end. And make sure you emphasize the. <laughs> Where did you get the uh, tap handle again? Say that again. So the, the tap handle is a, a longtime volunteer at the New Jersey State Fair and a scuba member, uh, Dave Pasek, and he actually sells these. Uh, for a great price, and he every single tap handle is unique, and I, I actually really I love that. Thing. Yeah, it's so, cool. it's nice. Yeah, it's and then the French tickler. The rest of it, this is this has been dubbed by another uh, brewer as the Geoquin tap. The and what you <laughs> what you have here is an insulated growler um, that's hooked up to a nine ounce paintball tank with a mini regulator, 
It's got quick disconnects there, so you can either use. Uh, it's got regular uh, corny ball locks, so you can use it to the uh, the paintball canister to power a regular size keg. You can also use your regular kegerator to carbonate beer in the growler. We actually have a club member who uh, carbonated a beer just by sh- uh, putting some beer in the growler and shaking it. Mm. And it's easier to do that than doing five gallons at a time. Um, so what, and is, what is the uh, the ball lock valve on top, the one with the handle? Is that just aesthetics? That's just aesthetic. It actually is a storage. You can, you can disconnect the tap, the oh, faucet, and hook, and hook it up there so you don't spill beer all over the place okay, when yeah. you're transporting it. Cool. Um, and the, the lid itself that attaches to a regular insulated growler is a trail keg um, uh, lid. And I, I, I bought a couple of them. They're, they're really making cool stuff. They're now putting a, a one-gallon insulated growler on the market as well. So, now what, uh, what, is, uh, cool. what does the trail keg lid cost? That was 43 bucks sh- uh, free shipping. That's awesome. And it yeah. just about every screw top. There t- wider mouth. There's, I guess, what's in called in internal and external threaded okay. uh, insulate. Well, the the man can is one that you see around a lot. Right. It looks like a little miniature keg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a non insulated stainless steel mm-hmm. um, growler, and I think they do half gallon and gallon. It will not fit that, but this fits most of the growlers that you can buy on eBay for not eBay on Amazon for like twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fifty fifty growler, but it's kind of. I think there's also a lifeline. Also, is is that kind of growler, um, and it's got an external thread, like so it. it fits lots of different types of things. It's you know, it's relatively. I have I have four of those growlers just because they're you know relatively cheap, and uh, I like I actually can go out to a brewery, fill the growler, and then take it home and purge it, so I don't need yeah. to drink it in a couple of days. Because I've I've always actually thought growlers are a horrible um, way for a brewery to present their beer because mm. they're filled at the brewery. They get a little bit oxidized, a little bit flat, and you. They say you can keep them for a month, but I always have thought personally, Matt says like a week, a couple of days, a week. No, I mean, on, <laughs> I mean, I actually, I mean, depending on how it's filled, again, the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, we have gone through a few different ways of filling up growlers. We've done it regularly, left it at the point where it's like, okay, you see the sixty-four mark, and we've done tests on that with the extra headspace on the top. We've purged them. And filled all the way up to that 64 mark left head. We've not purged, gone all the way up to the neck and left it there, and purged and gone up to the neck. And pretty much what we've seen is purging going all the way to the neck, not purging going all the way to the neck. You get about the same quality of it. It's pretty decent. And if you go all the way up to the top and then screw it down and put tape around the side, we kept a growler for six months without any carbonation loss and any oxidation coming through. And it's just making sure that there's you're no filling space. up to the top, and a little bit of foam goes over the top when you put it down. You rinse it all the way off. You tape around. You make sure it's sealed down. Um, both of the times when it was purged or not purged, and you left that headspace up to whatever, even a little bit of headspace on there, we saw a big drop in, in beer quality going down. So the biggest thing is fill it all the way to the top, whatever you're doing with it. Make sure it's down. Keep it cold. I mean, we kept it in the fridge for six months, and it was a Kolsch. So I would think that style alone would have you would taste a lot of difference to it. Um, if anything was to happen over time, so. Well, we've got. Uh, I got some pictures here of this. Uh, so this, of this tap setup that Robert brought, and uh, hopefully I'll post it. If if any of them come out decently, I'll post it as part of the uh, show. Oh yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's got a paint. It's got this homemade uh, brass handle and uh, enough space for um, 
uh, stainless steel growler, wide mouth growler on one side and enough space to hold a CO2 canister. Is that a one pound um, CO2 canister? It's nine ounces. Nine ounces. Okay, so I was way off. Um, a half a pound canister, and I think that's a Williams and Williams Brewing Company regulator. Is that what you got there, or is that just uh, yeah? No, I, did, I, yeah, ball I did get that from Williams. Yep. Um, it goes right on top of that canister, and it's connected to uh, an in gas on top of the a, a ball, a corny a, ball lock gas okay. in uh, in connector. Yeah. Right. A gas in so a ball lock the dis- quick disconnect um, and then it goes to a smaller um, connection fitting that's, right. That's the pr- proprietary yeah. trail keg. I have, I have him bouncing <laughs> back and forth from the, the microphone to pouring. Yeah, that's the proprietary um, trail keg fitting, which I think they did it for space reasons. I don't love that. I can't that it's not a corny ball lock right. and that's why you have that bulky adapter yeah. Yeah. uh with uh, you know the two corny disconnects right because there's not enough room to have two quick right. disconnects on top of that right. cap although i think that that fitting that they use i was just at home depot and i was looking at the um like the air tool you know air compressor tools um i think that that's what that's what that is and i was trying to find a way to uh, buy a couple of those fittings and try to retrofit so things. Disconnect uh, you know, there, yeah. I'll figure it out eventually. But this is the prototype, you know. And then the rest of the the framework, I, you have to keep in order to use that. You have to keep the CO two canister upright, um, otherwise you'll get liquid CO two yeah. going into your uh, beer, which you don't want. So that's what this whole holder is all about yeah, yeah. to hold that thing up. And I actually refill the canisters right off of my twenty pound CO two. Uh, tank at home i bought the paintball adapter so you know it's like free co2 it's really cheap rather than buying those little disposable yeah. 20 gram canisters or whatever whatever mm-hmm. they are you know 12, um, 12, 12 15 yeah. so I, I think it's a better option and it lasts a hell of a lot longer and normally this thing pours a lot better but right now i've learned what you need to do is you have to uh, fill it a day ahead of time everything subsides right now it's pour, pouring a little foamy but on a good day it pours better than my kegerator at home Hmm. You know, well, so, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to uh, here. I'll take that. Well, as a pilsner, it ought to have a good head on. Yeah, it I'm, not, I'm not opposed to having a, <laughs> a good head. I'm, and I'm not opposed to waiting for the beer either. Um, as it goes in my glass, I just like the way it looks. And when it releases that CO2, it's a little bit easier to drink anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, if I was to judge this beer right now, I would say it has wonderful lacings. <laughs> I can't even see the lacing. Not yet. Too much of the head. <laughs> no, this um, is. It looks yeah. great. It, it, the beer is actually crystal clear. A um, little bit of a blur, but not much. I mean, that's that's. You can probably uh, start a fire with that in sunlight. Not that I would want to waste the beer in sunlight, but um, it's got a nice white frothy head, um, yellow in color, pale yellow in color. Um, looks really easy to drink. So tell us a little bit about this beer and what you used and what you made with it and. Well, this is a style I've I've been entering competitions since probably for I don't know uh, fourteen years now, um, and this is one of my long term projects. I'm on since I've been keeping records. I'm on my, this is my twenty third batch of of this Pilsner, okay. so it's gone through various incarnations. Um, it's actually a really really simple beer ingredient wise, um, but there's. A lot of, I guess, technique involved. Nothing fancy, but it's all, it's empirically based. Like, I'm not really good with the numbers and, and, uh, 
and the knowledge and keeping track of the way I ought to do things. All I know is what has worked for me over the course of 23 repeated batches. Um, this comes pretty close to the way I want this beer to be. Um, you know, it's clear. It's not crystal clear. Yep. And I would say that that's because, like, to me, the hallmark of this beer is getting the proper yeast generation on it. Um, this beer, I think, is a second or a third. I think this is a second generation. What I'll do is I'll brew one beer, um, uh, my first Pilsner, on some fresh yeast. I'll do a yeast starter, maybe a, a, a two-liter yeast starter. Um, brew a beer on that. And I know that that's going to be a good drinking beer, but not a competition-level beer. Um, and then I will rack off out of the carboy um, on that beer and pitch uh, another beer directly onto that yeast cake. I don't clean the carboy. I don't pull the yeast out of the, the carboy or anything. Just right in there. Um, and the second generation is usually a pretty good beer, and this is a second generation. Then I find like the third and fourth, and if I'm lucky, the fifth generation, they, they really attenuate well, they flocculate well, and you get a crystal clear beer if you give it the time to lager as well. Sure. Um, and then after that, you start getting a little, on the seventh generation, you start getting a little more haze, a little bit more peppery Saison type mm -hmm. of uh, off yeast flavors. Um, but you you can go quite a few generations, and this beer never comes out great on just a yeast starter, like not even close. Um, so as you're going beyond second generation, are you cleaning yeast, or what are you doing? Because obviously your yeast cake's getting pretty massive at that point. I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty pragmatic brewer. I there's no rule for it. Um, if it looks like there's too much yeast, yeah, I'll pull it off. I'll put I'll I'll uh, sterilize a. a I actually use the um, – when you go to Costco and you get the marinated artichoke hearts, they're really tall, thin jars. I'll sterilize one of those things, um, and then I'll pour the yeast in there and then kind of, you know, kind of wash it. Pour, pour off the top, use the middle, dump the bottom um, if, if I see that there's a lot of yeast in the bottom. Um, but not always, you know. Uh, I think that part of it is knowing when you kind of – you look at it and you taste it. And you know when the beer has attenuated and the diacetyl is gone and it looks right, you just rack off. I don't care how much yeast you really have in the bottom. If you rack off of it in the proper amount of time into secondary and then lager it, then uh, it tends to come out pretty clean. So I don't worry too much so, about too so much So for yeast. you, yeast is really important, especially for a Pilsner style and stuff. Is there a certain manufacturer that you go for with your Pilsner's over another or is it just you know if it says Czech pilsner german pilsner yeast you're good for it and you just kind of use one of those i don't think that anything i've done is like i've i haven't scientifically gone through all these different styles and brands and uh but just empirically like i've moved around through a couple of different things and right now the german the white labs uh german lager yeast it's a liquid yeast that's the one that i've had the most success with they also have a German Pilsner lager, uh, German Pilsner yeast that it just doesn't make as good uh, a beer for me, for, for what I do. Um, so, yeah, I've moved through a couple things. I've been experimenting with some dry yeasts um, and haven't had quite the success. But it's kind of one of those things where I've done it so many times that you get a little bit superstitious, mm -hmm. like – yeah, this is what's worked in the past. I'm not going to push it that much oh, further. Yeah. I actually had an experience where I decided 
a Pilsner's kind of a boring style. It's like almost a smash beer. It's one type of grain, and it's almost one type of hop. So I've got to put a signature on it. I've got to do something that nobody else is doing. So I tried using the um, uh, Wireman Floor Malted Pilsner okay. malt, and it destroyed three of my batches. And then I started using it in other other uh, styles, and I didn't like it there either. But I thought it would be a great. I thought it'd be a great novelty, um, but it just didn't. It doesn't work in a beer. That's just meant to be like a smash showcased, beer. Yeah. yeah. As the grain is supposed to be showcased. Yeah. Um, what? So German lager, um, second generation, what temperature did you ferment at? And for how long? Obviously it's probably not, like you said, you don't brew empirically, but, um, on, on an average, how long would you wait for the German lager to finish out? Well, this, I, I, I love that question because this is my, my selling point for lagers. Um, for so many people who think that lagers are so difficult to do, blah, 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 um, this is a perfect beer for a person who doesn't have all that much time to devote to constant maintenance of their brewing. Uh, if you've got kids, this is a great beer for you to do. All you need is a, a, a refrigerator, um, but... Doing a lager slows down the entire brewing process so much that you can actually fit in the rest of your life around it, all right? So with this beer, what I'll do is I'll, I'll brew it. Um, my tap water can't chill it down low enough to pitch. So I brew it one day. I stick it in the fridge overnight, and I get it down to 50 degrees in the brew kettle. Um, in the morning, I'll rack onto the yeast um, and keep it at 50, around 50 degrees. I have a dedicated um, upright refrigerator for that that can hold two carboys at a time and then it really it stays in there until like i have time to get to it again which i wouldn't go under three weeks i probably go about three weeks to a month um but that's really flexible it's refrigerated Mm -hmm. it's everything's going to happen really slowly you know uh, any chance of autolization happening with lager yeast longer than four weeks there, yeah, there certainly is, and that's. I think that's something that starts happening later generations. I've actually found that you'll get the a lot of off umami flavor comes through. Yeah, you have you have to get it off that yeast uh, a little more quickly. Yeah, so it's not like you can forget about it, and then like a month and a half later, be like, oh yeah, I got that beer I got to do in, in the fridge. I, you definitely have to be a little little diligent. And some like for me, I'm on a different scale than most people for home brewing. Um, but I got a ton of beer that goes on all the time here. And sometimes I'll get someone in here who wants to brew a lager and doesn't want to pick it up for another month and a half. Right. Where I'll have to move that beer from the primary to a secondary and then lager it even longer in the secondary. And if I don't do it at the right time, I've found that I've, I've actually come into autolization um, and it's too late to turn back the clock. You can't really set yourself up for success when you let it sit so long, right? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So no, I think it's, it's there's a lot weeks, of weeks. I think is perfect. Yeah, there, there's a, um, a lot of things that I agree that you you were talking about with the whole uh, lager over ale side of stuff. I feel like a lot of times when people say, "Oh, okay, it's two weeks, four weeks, or whatever for your log, for your for your ale," you got you know you ferment two weeks, boom, transfer it over, and you got two more weeks in your bottle, and boom, okay, it's done. You can drink it. I think. Those times are really based off of what a lot of people tend to have available in time. I feel that a lot of it really is, it's more than one week, but it's less than two weeks a lot of times for ale, and that's where you can end up having your issue, right. is 
okay, I can't get to it the first week, I can't really check it, and then halfway through the next week, okay, my fermentation finished after one week, you got to give it a few days, but then Tuesday, Wednesday is perfect time to transfer it off, right. but I can't get to it till Saturday, and then by the time you transfer it, depending on the style of beer it is, depending on the style of yeast that you're using for an ale, it yep. could be good, it could be bad by the time you pull it off. With a lager, you're really looking at a two-and-a-half to three-week time period, and a lot of times because lagers are on that slower fermentation, you don't have autolysis issues until that fourth week or so. Right. So as long as you can d- give yourself, okay, this weekend I'm making it, three weekends from now I'm giving myself time, mm-hmm. you can make sure it has that, you know, fermentation's finished, give it its diacetyl rest, put it out there. All you got to do is lift it up, move it to a little bit of a warmer spot, and then on your third weekend, have your time to be able to rack it over. And mm-hmm. I think that gives you a lot more time to really plan your weekends out and work with it as opposed to... Uh, your typical ale style because of the autolysis, the exact time that things need to be done. You do need a couple, a little bit more uh, equipment than you might need to. Some people got, you know, full refrigerators and stuff. So you do need almost a dedicated refrigerator mm-hmm. specifically to use for this. But at the same time, getting a refrigerator off of, you know, uh, eBay, eBay, uh, Craigslist, Craigslist would be, you know, easy case. You know, throw bucks, in your garage. Yeah. People tend to have enough space bucks. for another fridge, especially if you can hold beer in it. They right. find a yeah, way, they really find a way quick, to do it, right? Uh, to, to fit another fridge in their house. Um, You'd be shocked just how um, cheap you can get uh, a refrigerator. Chest freezers are. Yeah. No, oh, chest absolutely. freezers are at Home Depot are like mm. 150 bucks. Brand new. Yeah. Scratch and dent. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, well, you you can look get for a scratch and dent when you can find it $60. You can get like an igloo. Yeah, scratch and dent, you're right. But you can get brand new. I think Igloo or some other, you know, brands of chest freezer at Lowe's and Home Depot for like 150 bucks. Yeah, it's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no doubt. And then you, yeah. you get that the temperature controller, either yep. Inkbird. I mean, they're, they're 15, 20 bucks off of. Yep. Uh, a couple of years ago, you were spending 120 dollars yeah, on right. a controller. Now they're 20, 30 dollars. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. You can really do yourself some well if you if you want to get into doing the lagering. Um, most people reserve that for like winter time. Yeah. Well, they'll find a cellar or they'll find a place in their basement to put it. But you could do and it just as easy with the chest freezer with, in your yeah. house. You could do you, loggers year-round. Um, and, 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 and people don't do no. loggers in the wintertime. They'll do a black lager or they'll do something like a little bit darker, more for the season. But they don't do loggers in the winter because they don't associate a Pilsner to be a winter beer. They there, think that it's a summer ale, so they don't do it. There are two or three things you got to pay attention to with a lager, and that's what makes it that slight bit more difficult than an ale. You got to make sure its fermentation start temperature is cool. Mm-hmm. It stays cool during fermentation, right. and you move it to a diacetyl rest right. at a certain time when it finishes right. fermenting. I'll if add to can, that too. If you can your hit that point, has me to too. Be up. What's up? Your pitch rate. Of oh, your, your pitch yeast rate has to be up SS a little bit. Yeah, yep. but in terms of stuff you have to do during brewing, there are those extra steps that you have to watch for. But overall, I feel it's an easier beer to deal with. You're picking. Less grains that you have to work yep. out with, less recipe formulation that you have to deal with, and all you really have to do is make sure you're cooling down far enough, you're keeping cool during fermentation, and when fermentation is done, you warm it up. Yeah. Right. And I have, otherwise to, than that, I have to reemphasize that point. Like, the diacetyl rest is crucial. Um, <laughs> it's crucial, and that's where, when I say three weeks, it's not like it's just sitting there for three weeks. Um, when the ferment, fermentation starts to die down, and you can... If you're working in glass, which I do, you can see it happen. Um, I I don't know what percentage of, you know, like how, if I were taking gravity readings, when I would want to do the diacetyl rest. But looking at it, you can see when it stops 
when it starts to slow down. And at that point, I pull it out of the fridge, and it gets a, it gets quite a few days yeah. at warmer temperatures. Cellar, you know, basement temperatures for me, which range uh, in the high 60s. Um, if it's really cold, I'll put a heating pad on it. Um, but if I skipped, so for the National Homebrewers Conference or competition this year, I tried to push one through really quickly because I ran out. I didn't have a good Pilsner. So I tried to skip a couple of steps and rush it. Mm. And I actually brought it to a club meeting. That beer, which I, I, I did a skimpy diacetyl rest, I brought it to a club meeting as an example of diacetyl. Like, <laughs> this is my Pilsner that I've done 22 times, yeah. and you guys have had it a bunch of times and enjoyed it. This is what can go wrong with a lager yeast. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And you know, what's, what, I'm glad you're saying this. You've done it 22 times, and you're still coming across... A mistake that's been made because of a diacetyl and you have a beer that you know is a 22, 22nd rendition that was full of butterscotch, it, uh, buttery amazing. popcorn, whatever yep. it is. It's just full of it. And you've done it 21 previous times without having that problem. So it just goes to show when you're brewing the beer, you can't just nonchalantly go through the process. You have to really take heed as to, okay, I'm doing this Pilsner. I need to make sure I, I, I take these steps because if, if not, it the don't get me wrong. The beer was probably drinkable. Was the beer drinkable? Probably, oh, it's yeah. absolutely. You know, it doesn't. Not it doesn't even. Worthy, it doesn't last long in the right, house. Right, I mean, it's so, a drinkable beer, but right. uh, it's not a competition. Uh, on beer a mirror, you, you'd get yeah. you get hammered. I mean, you'd probably get it in in the mid twenties because of not having that diacetyl rest done. And although mid twenties isn't a bad score, but it's just you know it's not what you're looking for in the forties. You're you're half off. It's not a courtesy thirteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> courtesy thirteen. Here you showed up. No, um, so. Um, there was one of those. Oh, I've gotten some of those. Yeah. The other, the other <laughs> crucial part one. that I've done that I've found out out of the half dozen to almost dozen box that I've done, um, very similar yeast profile, German lager and German Bach yeast. Uh, I'm getting a very similar profile. But what I've also found out is that um, getting pitching your yeast below that threshold is it 60? Is it 58? Is it 55? If you can get your, your beer down to like 50 degrees before you pitch your yeast, you're going to be in a, such a better uh, position to, to reduce those esters profile that come through. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot of esters that throw your beer into a different right. category. Yeah, It will throw you into a different category. So if you're looking to do a really good lager, you really need to cool down the wort before you pitch your beer to a good 50 degrees, 50 to 55 degrees. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to do that. You know, Like I was saying, my, my immersion chiller will not get me down right. to those tempers, temperatures. And people are so concerned with pitching immediately right, right. and know, i've never found that and, to be if, a you have a, if you have a clean pot right. that you're going to because it boiled it previously right you have no you not you know you're, you're covering it up you're putting it into the fridge and everything like that you're fine you're gonna be good yep. i've pitched stuff two days later and it's been fine because Absolutely. you know i missed uh, a delivery on a yeast pitch or something you can even put it in the fermenter chill it in the fermenter and right. then pitch the yeast oh yeah i mean it's, it's nice and clean too i've done it the, the big thing is making sure whatever you're going into it's a sanitized, yeah, clean, make sure it's clean. clean, sanitized vessel. You won't have an issue. Nope. And with a big yeast pitch, the yeast is going to start yeah. and to uh, creating alcohol so quickly that if there was something in there, it's starting to go somewhere, yeah. you can probably yeah. kill it out because of yep. starvation. Or Speaking yeah. of, uh, of pitch size, now you, you hear, what is it, 500 billion cells, 250 billion cells? What Don't do you, ask him how big his load is. <laughs> how big? How big is the load that you inject into the beer when you go to pitch your yeast? I mean, you do uh, 
look like I do with my box. I'll brew something like a Hellas, and then I'll drink the shit out of the Hellas because it's just it's a drinkable beer. It's not the best beer in the world, but that cake is what I'll use for my Bach beer. Right. And then I'll make the Maybach out of that. And then if I want to do a Doppelbach, I'll use that Maybach yeast cake to do my Doppelbach on the third generation. Um, there's got to be trillions of cells of, of yeast in that. I mean, what is the what is the uh, I, What's the level there? I mean, empirically, you probably don't take I, record of it. I, I mean, I take record of it, but then I don't consult the record. Is <laughs> mostly what happens. Um, it's always like, where am I at? What can I get done today? You know, and um, ideally, I'll do a two two liter starter on the first generation, which is not big enough um, for a lager. I think it should be bigger, but. I only I have uh, you know I only have flasks of certain sizes. So, so two liters <laughs> right around, I would say somewhere around four hundred billion cells. You got me. Three hundred and seventy-five billion cells somewhere around there. Is that or is it bigger than that? You're, no, it'd be, it'd, be le- it'd be less than that. Will it be less? Because your yeah. pitch is what in that two liters of oh, ten forty no, solution. I mean, I, what you, you're talking per mil, or are you talking in the, in the whole flask? In the whole flask. Yeah. Then you then yeah you're Some, probably around somewhere there. around there. So. I mean that's that's a pretty hefty pitch, but is that is that the right pitch that you need? Obviously, you're probably getting up to somewhere around 800 billion cells when you're done fermenting, 700 billion cells somewhere around there for your second generation mm-hmm. of pitch. Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I look at when I'm going through my stuff, whether it be forge batch size or it be regular, you know, 15 barrel batch, 30 barrel batch, is how healthy the yeast is going into it. Right. Um, Anything that I'm going to repitch, mm-hmm. I make sure that I add yeast nutrient to it. There's plenty of stuff that the yeast can eat and whatnot in the grain in there, but sometimes it's lacking some nutrients just um, to be able to carry over into the be- before it starts going to the next. Because there's typically a little bit of a lag time that it has that it's sitting at the bottom of the fermenter with no nutrients to it. Right. So if I give it this little extra bump. It gets to hold on to some, you know, extra vitamins and nutrients to to keep it okay through that that lag period of before it gets more sugar from wort again. Sure. Um, if I don't give it that, mm-hmm. I see less generations I can pitch off of. Even if I give it a little bit of nutrient, I see no problem in it starting up nice and quick for the next one. What 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 is in your nutrient? I know there's Tip- honestly, typically phosphate. the the typical yeast nutrient that. You can see on the market. I mean, they add a couple things into it, but most of it's dried, dead yeast cells. So you're talking spring cells, mostly spring cells, which are dead yeast cells, Um, because they they market in home brewing. They market three different things. They they market dimonium phosphate as yeast food. Then there's nutrient with this dimonium phosphate and a little bit of spring cells, and then there's yeast energizer, which is Something and something with the the other two. So the, I, the best for it. This one has a little zinc in it. Yeah, for really big I think that's the energizer. Yeah, yeah, the the zinc the zinc stuff's important if you're going big. If you're going big um, zinc, otherwise, you just want a couple a little little bit of free uh, free amino nitrogen, and then whatever other little things are required, coenzymes, stuff like that. That pretty much, I mean, in such minute amounts, it doesn't make sense for them to individually make this stuff. So they just kill yeast, and it's like, well, they got it in their en- own enzymes mm-hmm. to begin with. Why not just kill them and have it over there that they can pull it from the dead cells? Um, so that ends up being pretty very, much what I end up using. In very a lot briefly, of my stuff. you've just yeah. mentioned free ammonium nitrate, and that's or, uh, FAN. Yeah, free amino nitrate. Yeah, free amino nitrate. A lot of people don't know what that is. Can you explain 
briefly what that that does and helps? Uh, briefly, I don't know. <laughs> it's I know there's <laughs> okay. A- so when yeast decide to when yeast reproduce now, um, you said a bud. Yeah, when when they start budding and they're creating more of themselves and everything, they have to create more proteins and stuff like that. And they go through their whole process of creating more enzymes and everything because when yeast do fermentation or uh, they go through glycolysis and oxidative uh, oxidative reproduction or respiration and stuff like that, and they switch back and forth, they need to create all these new enzymes. Yeast can create certain types of the protein building or the amino acid building products to create all these different enzymes, but they can't create all of them. Um, and some of them they need to pull in from other stuff. They need to create, um, they need to go through path pathways that need nitrogen. They need to go through pathways that either they get their, um, uh, amino acids from other places or they get, or they can build them up through other processes, but they need nitrogen to be able to do that. Because nitrogens are in these amino acids, so through these process of all, of doing all this stuff, they the only way they can really take in nitrogen is through inorganic nitrogen or free amino nitrogens. Okay. And taking it in from inorganic nitrogen is more difficult for it than taking it in from uh, nitrogens that are already part of other amino acids. They can pull that in through their um, uh, catalytic processes that they go through, break it down, and do what they have to to create these and change them over from a couple different uh, little hanging chains off of one amino, uh, one amino acid into creating something else. When you, Whenever you look into a recipe or you read about someone brewing something, FAN is always talked about, whether it's in How to Brew from John it just, Palmer it, it or helps. Designing Great Beers from Ray Daniels. It's it helps always keep your yeast about. healthy. Right. Free amino nitrate is very important for yeast health. And if you can get that through an addition if of you're nutrient, doing, if you're doing that's one great. ferment on right. your beer and you're going to chuck your yeast down the drain, it doesn't matter. Right. Your provider of yeast right. has those cells full and ready to go with whatever they need to begin with. Right. It's just after they've gone through their work and they're sitting now at the bottom and they're ready to go through the next one, if you're going to reuse them, they're depleted of a lot of stuff and they're going to be a little bit sluggish. And I think, um, do you use neat, use yeah yeast nutrient any of that? Any stuff that you do? I'll always throw a little bit. I just use the uh, the Y yeast uh, yeast nutrient mm-hmm. in every batch. I'll throw yeah. in a little bit. Okay, you know, knowing that it's really meant, and yeah. uh, also oxygenate. Um, I just yeah. use a an aquarium pump to to pump air through. Right, I think that's um, why you're able to get as many generations as you are right. out of it because. Right. I see on myself, if I decide to not add yeast nutrient or whatever into it because, oh, I didn't have any at the time or whatever, I get three generations maybe right. before it starts throwing off all flavors and I'm like, this is horrible. And, you know, it's, it's important for a brewer who owns a brewery to, to really figure out what his health, is, his yeast is because you're going to reuse that patch over, oh, over and over, and over, and over, and over, over again. Yeah. And like-minded, I mean, there are homebrewers out there that will use their yeast, such as you and me, and they'll use it over and over again, but... You'll see everyone invest in home brewing wise. Invest in you know a crusher for their grain or a temperature gauge for their, but they never invest in a good microscope. No one really, not a lot well, of people I that think, I know. I think the difficult. Well, oh, yeah, well, you, well, you're a nerd. I think the difficulty why. on it is that you know with a grain crusher you don't have to know why you're crushing the grain. No, you don't no, have to I, know I, yeah. why you're boiling it. So you have a burner. You don't have to know why right. you're. Or what goes through the process of fermenting it? That's why you throw in yeast and have but, a. Uh, but there'll be people But with a microscope, that... you have to know what the heck you're doing if you're going to look through it and look. It's like, oh well, yeah, I looked at it, but how does that help my beer? Well, I was talking about the people that will invest in 
water profiling and all the water chemistry behind it and get really involved in the chemistry behind water and not do anything about their yeast. Well, it, I think it's also a lot easier to look at your water chemistry and be like, oh, well, this person said this is the best water style. Or see, I'm not the, saying that. I'm saying like they'll test their water and they'll adjust their water with chemical. Oh, they will. And but they'll, I'm, I'm they'll just saying it's it a lot easier to have a book in front of you and be like, okay, these chemicals adjusted this way to bring this up or this down. They might not know why those chemicals affect it's, it's, the water. Here, here's, here's the thing. It's, it's a whole heck of a lot easier. The moment you look through a microscope. To throw in a teaspoon of gypsum or whatever the heck you think you need, than it necessarily is to the, really understand the yeast health. Yeah. Or even to do, to do temperature control of fermentation and to understand fer- temperature control of fermentation. That's a real science and it requires a bigger investment. I mean, you, right. you can yeast, you can you can change you can get management is a, is a is you can get a really temperature controller on your fr- on your fridge. You can get um, you know a quick kit on, to on go through do know, drops and everything that, that and, and makes check you your a different brewer though. I think it really no no. Does. I'm saying that, but you're saying people people will look at these. I guess right. my opinion there is are, that, no, and I'm not saying there aren't any. There aren't. I'm not saying there aren't any, but people are. No, it's just it, the More moment you reluctant. the moment you have a microscope and you're looking through the microscope. The only way you're going to be able to use it properly is if you know why what the hell you're you using it, and yeah. not just looking thing. at a book on the side and be like, "Okay, I need to hit this yeast this form." And no, okay, by adding this, this, and this, I'm yeah, going to make my yeast there's look more like that will help you with that, too, no, just like water does. I mean, it's how you learn, is it not? No, but it, I'm just saying, like, with water profiles with a lot book. of time, you can, you can sit there and go, this is my water profile. Right. This is the water profile I'm trying to right, get right, to. Right, right, right. And you add a little, and you, and you right. can yeah. plug Same it into the program. This is the yeast. Yeah. This is but what I'm looking at. You can plug it into a program, and, and, and you can see all this stuff. Yeah, if I'm, you're I'm, looking at under a microscope. We're saying the same thing I know we are, I'm saying if you look under a microscope, there's no program you can plug it into and be like, this is what my yeast looks like. No, I'm not saying you have to plug it into a program. You can look at a book. You could look at a book and a chart and see where your yeast are supposed to be. Just as much as, how did you learn? You understand why you How did you like understand that? that? How did you come to understand that? How did but you learn? You, did they give you books at Siebel? Yeah, they did. Yeah, of course. And but did they go but over there's a difference. I'm not looking at one chart. I know you're not. I'm just saying that as a homebrewer, you could definitely sit there and learn. No, I'm not saying you it. can't. But I'm saying it's a lot easier to look at a book on one chart yeah, but and say my gonna, calcium is 50 right now. It needs to be Without paying someone going to school, you can definitely take a book off the shelf and look at it and go, okay, I'm going to teach myself how to do this. I'm not saying count. you can't, Warren. I know you're not. I'm saying <laughs> you can, and I'm saying that I'm surprised because when you become a home brewer, you're very nerdy about everything, but no one steps into being a yeast there's, 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 there's kind of two kinds of home brewers. There's the nerd. I know there are, yeah. Right? And then there's the people that are really creative, and that right. is not me. But right there's they're out there, and, 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 then, and, and then there's the creative. Then there are the, the half the creative judges nerds. that were here wrangle right. their own yeast that were here. Yeah. Half the judges do, and half the people that were in that judging room could probably potentially be a professional brewer at some point in their life if they want it to be, and they probably would kick it. Yeah, one person comes to mind off the top of my head, and he probably knows more about yeast than anybody in this room. Probably. He has gone And he through. did not go to any school for no, it whatsoever. No, he didn't. So Because he cared enough to really look into all this stuff about that's it. That's my point. I understand what your that's point, what point is. That's point is. But my point is someone can go in there and be like, you know what, I really care about water chemistry. Right. And spend 30 minutes looking at a water chemistry book and know a shit ton about yeah, water chemistry. that easy. But if they look at a microbiology book, 
It's going to take them a few weeks at least to understand yeast morphology and why yeast morphology is the way it is and how to make healthy yeast. I still see people reluctant to do water chemistry. Of course they're reluctant to do it because it's chemistry. It's too hard. You tell someone chemistry, it's the same as saying, hey, do math for me. And they're like, shun away. I mean, it's, it's education. They look at beer and they think, oh, I'm able to make beer at home. A lot of times you don't want to educate yourself beer. fully on this stuff. You want to go home and be able to have a hobby. When I go home and I whittle a stick, I don't go to the science of the grain of wood to be able to whittle it into whatever picture I want it or you know sculpture I want to make it. I just go home and I shave it until it looks like a stick. Well, let me give you let me give <laughs> you, you this example though. You went, like wait, 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 wait. Matt went to school for chemistry and he homebrewed and then decided to go to Siebel because he homebrewed and wanted to get into that. It's you're arguing the same thing I'm arguing. Like you, you, you made a beer and you're like, I can make a beer. I could do this for a living, and then you decided to get your education on and go. Did I'm you not. not? So if I went home and I whittled tonight and I said, oh, you know what? I really like this. I'm going to go to education and get a whittling stick, and I'm going to become a home builder because I whittled one stick. It's the same thing. I'm, I'm just saying. We're arguing the same thing. We're arguing we different points. I don't it. know why we're arguing. We're arguing different points. You're arguing because you have a beer in your hand? No, no. Um, this is actually a 12% Pilsner. That's why you're arguing. <laughs> Holy well, we've already kicked it, too, so it's already gone. Yeah. Um, no, um, but I just think that it's funny because everyone will touch every aspect of brewing and not step a foot into yeast wrangling or even knowing anything about yeast. Even I mean, temperature plays a big, huge temperature role. Temperature control in yeast. It's a living is, organism. You know, it's much more to absolutely. understand about it than it is a Critical. chemical. Right. I, a chemical I agree. will always react the exact same way every time you put it in. Yeast is temperamental. I mean, yeast it's got so many more variables. Well, it's live. That y- y- you, you look at it you like... You have to understand so much more about yeah. yeast to be able to work with yeast than working with calcium. All right, yep. so here's a question for you, or for anybody. So obviously the people that, uh, you know, Y yeast and White Labs and whatever, they're, they have some sort of mother yeast, right? And they have to be making a million generations of this stuff in order to sell it into the marketplace. How do they keep the quality... Like you say, I can do three, four, whatever, it's six plating. generations. It's plating. Okay. They, so. they, they have what you call your mother yeast. They select. Is sitting in a vial in negative 80C deep freeze. Yeah. They pull that. This they is plate Matt's, it. This is Matt's. This is yours, And they pull, a, they pull a cell from that, and then they grow it from there. So they take one cell. They will grow. They'll, they'll take us, uh, I don't know, one or ten microgram or microliter sample probably from their mother or whatever and they will plate it and then from their plating they will pull one cell from there or that a colony that grows which is as long as you have a nice shaped colony on your plate you're assuming that it comes from one cell you pick that and you start growing it and then you take another colony from there and you put that back into deep freeze Mm -hmm. and then that stays as your mother for your next generation of whatever that growth from there can then go on to however many you want. As long as you have sanitary process, that right there is that one type of cell moving through everything. And the next time you want to grow it up from there, you pull from that deep freeze again. No, I, and under, I understand, Matt. I guess here's my point is that is there advantage that's just that they're under lab circumstances that, that they can do this? Because you're saying, ah, if I go three, four, five generations, like you should be able to do an infinite number of generations, but you can't. No, I, right? I can. But I will not have the same yeast I had from the beginning. There are places in Britain that still have the exact same strain of yeast that they've used from the very beginning whenever their brewery opened up. But it is not the same strain of yeast that they originally started with because of mutation. 
They, you know, maybe they clean their yeast however they would regularly clean their yeast. They've pulled their generation. They've done everything. But over time, you've gotten your, quote, unquote, house yeast. House yeast, yeah. Because your yeast has adapted itself to the environment that it's in. If I pull Nottingham yeast, dry Nottingham yeast into my brewery after eight generations, I get a different flavor of it. That's when I chuck it and I get new Nottingham. I mm-hmm. could keep going with it, but eventually I'm going to get my own house Nottingham yeast. Mm-hmm. My issue right now is because I can't clean my yeast, I, can't, I don't have the stuff in-house right now to propagate up a large enough pitch to put back into a 30-barrel fermenter. My concern would be if I go 40 generations down the road, I can no longer get that yeast on the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So I go eight generations until the flavor starts to change a little bit. I throw it out, and I get Nottingham again. Mm-hmm. And then I continue up through that. And then eventually down the road, I will probably have my own house yeast when I have the ability to propagate my own yeast. Because have then I can pull, yep. and I can deep freeze, and I can pull from that going forward every 10 generations or so, just continuously going forward. And if for some reason I have a catastrophe in the brewery, then I have to dump my main yeast that's going forward, I can then grow up from that 10 generations ago, which could be generation, you know, 480 or something like that. Mm. But at least it's still no longer Nottingham yeast that I have to go all the way back to the beginning to pull from. And that's my issue with going past 10 generations. I can keep going and I can still get beer flavor. It'll just be different than my original yeast flavor going forward. Gotcha. Because it's become adapted or however you want to call it to my environment, specifically in the brewery. Do you find it hard um, to duplicate beers? No. Do you find that your stout on batch 1.1 is different than, a little bit tiny different than 1.8? So there's, yes and no. There's ways that I'm looking at what you're you're saying. And it's, if I had the exact same recipe, Mm. the way I'm brewing right now, I haven't changed my brewing process. So the way I'm brewing from when I opened up a year ago to the way I'm brewing right now exactly is exactly the same. The same. Yeah. And you um, teach that, too. You, I, yeah, I, I make sure all that. the guys that are going out yeah. to the brew system right now that I've got in, in-house, they're on there, they're doing that process, yeah. and we go through it. I mean, there's um, and there, there's every step in the process I know how to go through and correct to change it over. Um, one of the batches last week, uh, I had one of the guys there brew and I said, you know what? This is going to be all you. You go forward. You do it. You know what? You know my process. Mm. Go forward and do it. You know, got nervous in the middle here and there. Missed a couple steps of whatever. Ended up getting a seventy-eight percent efficiency instead of my typical ninety-two. That beer would have tasted different than whatever, mm. because I made sure one hundred percent. He took information points at. You know, beginning of mash, middle of mash, end of mash, beginning of uh, runoff, middle of runoff, end of runoff, beginning of boil, middle of boil, end of boil. I can go back and I can change stuff on there of the next batch that I made because it's always, I blend always two batches together to make my 30. I can go back through and play around with it to make sure that the beer is going to be exactly the the same in the end. I didn't get my 92% efficiency on the second batch, but I couldn't in order to keep the beer tasting the same. So I went through and was able to change it over to make sure that the batch was going to be the same. Now, on the other side of what you're saying, my pale ale. I have never brewed the same batch of pale ale (laughs) since opening up the brewery. (laughs) I'm on batch 12 right now of it and never brewed the same. Well, So batch one and two together were the same. Batch two and three were the same, but 
one and two were not the same as two and three. Um, each one were slightly bit different because of hop restrictions that I had. Originally, I was never thinking of brewing an IPA. Right. So when I finally had an IPA brewed up on the pilot system that I felt was good, I kept it with that, and it kind of moved forward that way. Mm-hmm. That one stayed the same. The pale ale, I originally thought, okay, this was going to be my pale ale, and then I found out I was able to get different hops than I was originally contracted for in the beginning that I wasn't able to get originally. Mm-hmm. So I moved forward and changed those hops over, this and that. Oh, okay, now change this water chemistry. Maybe change this hop. Maybe change this time that it goes into. Change this mash profile. Change this grain over a little bit. Everyone's been a little tiny differently to get my I, my pale ale to where I kind of want it to be. And now it's actually to the point where I've got four variations on the pilot system going at the same time as I just brewed another pilot batch because I might want to take it to a whole different direction than what I've got it right now. Sure. But the pale ale is the only one that I can say has not been the same every time. And that's mainly because I'm constantly changing the recipe. But all the other ones, the Kolsch, the Amber Ale, the, uh, the IPA, the Stout, all of them have been sitting pretty much at their same recipe. And unless I've added something different to it, the process has been the same, and we've gotten the same. You changed your Kolsch yeast, didn't you? The yeast has changed on the Kolsch. We went originally with White Lab's um Kolsch yeast 26 um i think it's 26 uh to a uh, local yeast we used uh al from uh east coast yeast and we used his Kolsch. now i have had to occasionally switch back over and people probably have seen a slight difference in flavor to it mm-hmm. the Kolsch i have right now is actually white labs yeast again 29 i think it is right 29 yeah east and, coast uh, yeast couldn't get you what you needed it, it's the time mm-hmm. so when i have an issue with my Kolsch yeast it's usually oh crap i just i it's like my Kolsch, right, or what it was, hopefully now going forward it's going to be different because I'm canning and brewing it uh, for kegs, um, was by the next time I'm brewing it, it's right on that cusp of not being able to repitch because it sat too long without anything going on to it. Mm. Um, and occasionally I've taken samples from it and been like, oh, crap, there's no way I can reproduce this, but I need Kolsch yeast again. So calling White Labs, I get it in three days. Right. Calling Al, it takes four weeks. So I believe Al has the better product. I like his Kolsch yeast from East Coast yeast better than I like it from White Labs. Mm-hmm. But White Labs gives me a decent Kolsch. Right. So instead of running out of Kolsch, I still get a good Kolsch out to the market. But if I can now going forward, what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to do one more genera- one more turn on White Labs and call into Al at the same time and say, hey, I need another pitch of Kolsch, and he'll bring another one over to me, cool. and I can get that going forward. And then ideally with kegs and cans going at the same time, I'll never have more than two weeks that it's sitting cold without going into a new beer. Well, on that note, I need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, can we ask Robert about his water chemistry? Um, sure. Oh. I got I got to pee, though. So <laughs> on our way back in, uh, we'll, uh, we'll hit uh, Robert up for water. Podcast. Uh, we just got done drinking a mild from our 
illustrious winner over here, Robert G. Clinton. We're just talking. It had a little bit of uh, lacto fermentation going on in the bottle. Which I'm going to have to check my score sheets and see if that was something. What, the competition was three weeks ago. It'll be interesting to see if they picked up on that in the score sheets or if it's something that happened in three weeks. Maybe that's, uh, you know. All right, I've I had... let the cat out of the bag. I opened up the bottle and stuck some <laughs> cedar back. Is that? All right. No, you, you were saying that you do a lot of lacto or other styles of fermentation, whether it be bacteria or other styles of yeast over at your place also. So this may have been a... It's actually, it's a funny thing because people, I think some people have made uh, comments about the fact that like there are two beers that I really like to do a lot and it's lagers like Pilsner's and it's sour beers, you know, like a Berliner Weiss. (laughs) And how do you have that happen in the same brew house? And I'll tell you what, I haven't found much cross contamination, but there, but when I bottle for competition, if they sit around for more than a couple of months, I think that I do often get some lacto mm-hmm. contamination okay. but it's not something that's a, anything that i worry about in the short term okay you know i so. mean a lot, a lot of those styles of beer too tend to be a little bit more quicker drank and it you know they're not long-term holding beers by style anyway it's quicker drink um, like purple drink purple drink quicker drink <laughs> um they're not they're not long-term hold beers anyway you don't want to hold a pilsner for six months you don't want to hold a uh, a Berliner Weiss for six months. So, you know, just off of general of how fresh you want your beer to begin with, you're not going to want to be holding them too long enough to really be picking up contamination anyway. Well, What's the alcohol yeah. content in that beer? In the mild? Probably like nothing. Three, three, <laughs> like three, yeah. three, two. Near beer? Yeah, like nothing. Yeah. So, no, it's interesting. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I want, I feel like maybe the judges did pick up on that. Um, but I'm not really sure. So it's funny. I'll I'll, uh, I'll brew a four, four two beer or a four and a half beer and find that I have more susceptibility to getting lacto infection at a four two than I do at a six or a seven beer. Um, for some reason, I don't know if it has anything to do with the competition that lacto does at a lower competition with sugar than than. I think it's more alcohol percentage. They mm-hmm. they really don't like to go with alcohol. Also with lower. Uh, percentage beers you usually don't hop them very high. Nope. And lacto does not like hops. So right. and there's no hot there's like no hops. When in that you're mile. when you're going with a lot lower IBUs, lacto can and pop in at that point. So with really low percentage alcohol with not fighting the lacto plus the fact that you're you're pushing the low IBUs, I think there's much more susceptibility at that range. One easy way to um, make sure that uh, you reduce your lacto is get rid of your fruit flies. <laughs> Do you know how to do that? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's a shop vac. <laughs> yeah. A lot of tape hanging from this. Yeah, that's creeper. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think that what comes out of this conversation that's interesting is the fact that those kinds of unexpected, I guess, accidents, mistakes, whatever you might want to call it, that's where you learn an awful lot. Oh, yeah. I, I was talking to another home brewer the other night about um, I had pulled – I have so much just beer that I never entered into competition. It's been sitting around in bottles for five, six, seven, eight years. And to go back and taste those earlier versions, I went through a bunch of Pilsners that just I couldn't believe the the oxidation, uh, the just all the off flavors. And, and I had a brewer telling me one of the precursors to, what is it? There's SMS, DMS. Uh, one of the precursors um, in a Pilsner that it, it'll survive in the bottle. It will not express itself 
um, in the bottle until it gets a lot of age on it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have these off flavors coming out of a beer that was really clean in the first place. You know, and as as you let your beer sit, you you come across all those things, and those are pretty neat to see. Like maybe I can address that in my process, or maybe I don't care because this was never meant to sit around for six yeah. or. I only it's only there for seven years because I lost it in the back of my basement. Well, there's you know? one thing too. It, it, it's important to know that you never learn anything off a perfect beer. You only learn something if you fuck up, because then you realize, oh, okay, this went wrong. If you can, if you take notes, you can learn it's from a fuck up. But I think it was a you go back through and you learn, you learn through a lot of these issues that you go through to make it better. If you made a perfect beer, then it's okay. You screwed up so many times previously, right. and you can sit there and go, oh, all those mistakes have led up to this. Right. But making a perfect beer, you can't go back and okay, what do I change? Nothing. You, so, you've made a great beer, but. Previously, you know, you've made plenty of issues going forward to make SMS, DMS. What are those chemical compounds? See, that's where a guy like Matt is so invaluable because <laughs> as soon as he starts using abbreviations like FAN, I took a little bit of a nap. I mean, I'm sure it was brilliant, but like, I don't know, SMS, DMS. Uh, as far as I know, they're sulfur compounds that exist yeah. in Pilsner malt. Right, yeah. Part of the reason that you boil for 90 minutes on a Pilsner malt is to get a lot of the SMS precursors out or whatever but dms has the taste or the aroma of cooked corn or cooked vegetables yeah. so uh dimethyl sulfoxide is found in pills and malt an awful lot um i don't it know changes if it's the dimethyl sulfide when is, you, is that what it is okay yeah. all right yeah and uh yeah no pretty much any time that i'm brewing with pilsner malt which is almost everything right. i mean that's my favorite malt even in styles that don't require pil- pilsner malt I like a highly attenuated beer, and I find that Pilsner really attenuates well. So I use that in place of pale malt in a lot of beers. You know, um, So I do a lot of 90-minute boils just to avoid that from happening and then making sure you have the lid off while you're cooling until you know a certain temperature. I'll jump in over here. I'm not going to talk about DMS, SMS. Well, your explanations were fine enough. I don't want to bore people. Um, <laughs> but on your 90-minute boil and stuff like that, when you make a beer, do you – when you decide to do a 90-minute boil as opposed to a 60-minute boil from pale to, you know, Pilsner malt or anything like that, do you do 90-minute hop addition or do you still do a 60-minute hop addition or anything? Usually it's a 60-minute hop addition. But even that, um, there are two things that I do that are kind of counter to, I think, what a lot of other brewers do. Um, I don't really go by the clock. I have a measuring stick in my boil kettle. And when it's at a certain notch on that stick, I know that I probably have about 90 minutes to go or 60 minutes to go or 15 minutes Mm -hmm. to go. I do everything entirely by volume. I mean, I tweak it a little bit as far as hop additions, but like I'm because of the difference in the humidity and the boil evaporation rates, um, I go more by volume than I ever do by the clock until I get down to the last 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like that's when I let the clock start ticking. No, I, I I like the way you do stuff like that because I, f- I feel that there are certain things in the brewing process that are very important, and there are things in the brewing process that you can let slide. Um, one thing that I really do like is starting your boil, and then at some point after the boil's been going for a little bit, you start your clock as to what you're going to do. Even if I use pale malt, my boil technically... If you're going by the clock and you're really pinning things down, it's probably been going for 15 minutes. And then I start my 60-minute and I go from there. I really like getting my boil going and then going forward and then adding hops. If giving it that time to boil 
and you know have your hot break go through and everything like that and start the churning process and the boiling going forward you get a really nice protein precipitation and everything like that you get a nice clear wart at the end sure. so i love it with pilsner malt if i wait till my 60 minute even if with pale malt marisot or anything like that if i wait 15 minutes before adding my 60 minute in there um also as as you know you're going forward with that if you're going from 60 minute and then you're down your next hop addition isn't until 15 or something or a 30 minute or something like that it's like okay you can set a timer for it and then it goes off and i'm in the middle of like you know kegging something off or something it's like I got a couple minutes or whatever. I can go dump it in. Right. A few minutes on that doesn't matter because your your bitterness addition at that point, it's going to be bitter whether it's 65 right. minutes right. or 60 minutes or whatever. 0.2 IBUs aren't going to be tasted. Nope. Um, it's once you're going into those aromas and your flavoring that the timing really makes a difference of a couple minutes and so on going forward. And that's really when your time points really matter. Right. Uh, you want to make sure you hit that point where you're starting to cool or you're starting to whirlpool where everything is going to be that immediate at the end and everything like that. But in the beginning, you really don't need to care about so much on the timing. It's what it looks like, how, you're, how it's feeling at that time and everything. And that's where the difference between timing and feeling really goes into the brewing process. It's, I mean, it's my brew day. That's exactly yeah. what I do brew day, including mash. Like, I'll mash in. I don't go for 60 minutes. I go to when I get to it again to come back to it. Some, sometimes I'm up here helping people, and I'm mashing somebody else, You know, somebody back there. like They're yelling at me, it's 60 minutes. We're already mashed. We need to do something. Well, you, you know, at the very least, it went over a certain right. period of time, but right. it doesn't necessarily have to be that time. Exactly that time, right? And you the same thing with less, the boil. Oh, we have, we have two minutes away before... Or, you know, 90-minute boy, the 60-minute yeah. mark comes in. I'm like, don't worry about it. We'll that's that's when you look at me and go, has it been six hours on the mash yet? <laughs> yeah. Then we're not sour. We're, yeah, we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not worried about that yet. <laughs> the, the other big one that I do that's not like, you know, so that's more adaptive is I don't try to capture a certain volume of a certain gravity wort into the kettle. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what my actual efficiency is going to be. It's not predictable every single time. So I as I'm running off, I take a gravity. I have I use the dilution calculator uh, to hit, hit my target gravity. So I always what I do is I always undercalculate my efficiency. I actually do sixty percent for every recipe. Sixty mm-hmm. percent efficiency. I run off. I figure my calculator tells me I need five point four gallons uh, of wort at this uh, gravity. And then I stop at 5.4 at that gravity and then just add water in. It gives me a big buffer from if my efficiency is low, then I need to collect six gallons and then I add in a half gallon or whatever. And then because I'm calculating low efficiency, I'll keep running off into a flask and that'll be my starter. I'll usually get a 1040 uh, gravity, like two liters of that to, to, to start. So I don't try to catch two variables at the same time, gravity and volume. I just go for gravity, and then I use the dilution cal- calculator to get up to my full volume. It just eliminates a little bit of guesswork. Question uh, real quick, getting back on your Pilsner. We never reached the hop verdict. What hops did you use? <laughs> Water chemistry. Oh, all right, all right. Should we introduce your better half? Hops are, no, I don't think she wants to be introduced. <laughs> um, Neely Cooper is in the room, though, for all of you fans out there. She's, now we got to watch what we say. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, Bite your lip. 
But hops are easy. We have a sophisticated artist with us now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like the rest of us. With great renown and respect, and then there's the rest of us. Yeah. Um, hops are easy. I mean, like I've gone around through a million hops, and I come back to Haller Tower, and it's probably the most boring hop out there, but it gives that beer the right flavor. Yeah. Um, I use a little bit of either Vanguard or Perlay to as the bittering hop. Okay. Um, this beer, I don't think, really fits the the BJCP. Uh, guidelines because I think it's slightly too bitter, but um, I like I like drinking Prima Pills at home, and that's that's an awesome beer. That's I think a little too big on hop aroma, hop flavor, and hop bitterness for a pilsner, but I love it. So that's that's what I've made this recipe for. And the fact is, I talked to a couple of judges who have had that beer, and they go, you know, after a hard day of judging, sometimes something that's a little bit. Uh, over maybe the the category uh, guidelines cuts through a little bit more because of palate fatigue. So I don't know. Competition is always a little bit of of gaming the system slightly, uh, t- but then flight order matters if you're the first beer. Overtly be, too. I've, I've seen oh, overtly yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. agree with you 100 yeah. on that. I think. And then finally, just water chemistry really quickly. Um, Water chemistry is one of those things where it's just such a complicated topic. Unless you're as brilliant as our friend Matt here, who knows all these abbreviations no. for things, um, <laughs> you know, if you do research into water chemistry just on the internet, you're going to come up with a lot of contradictory things. None of it really makes sense. You get really confused and you throw it all out the window. Um, so what I did was I started with, I use reverse osmosis for every beer that I ever make, except for stouts and really dark beers. Um, I, we have very hard water in Sparta and I find that like stouts come out really great with tap water, but for everything else is reverse osmosis. I created my own spreadsheet. I don't know, eight years ago based on the John Palmer spreadsheet, which is I think very obsolete right now. Um, and what I've done is just deviate from that and just adjust things uh, based on the way they tasted previously and based on mistakes. I do a lot of my adjustments based on how I just like screwed up and threw the wrong thing in the batch the other day. And it taught me something good or bad. You know, so my water chemistry is it's reverse osmosis water. I add a little bit of well, what do I have here? Chalk, a little bit of gypsum, a little bit of a little bit of everything, but not much of anything. Um you know, and it, it, it comes out pretty good. I use a completely different profile for my other beers, uh, but the Pilsner, I use the same thing for Pilsner every single time. But as a general time. rule, you're talking about a very low mineral beer for water. It's, well, no, it's, it's not. I mean, I think that there's a, there's a reputation for Pilsners as, as being very soft water, and f- the little bit of research I've done with the little bit of, you know, like academic, uh, academics applied to it, Czech Pilsners tend to be really soft water. German Pilsners are not soft Ah, water. And um, I went to a great talk at NHC once that said that no matter all these water profiles that exist out there on the Internet, they're taken from the water source. But the brewers all along have been compensating for those water sources. So to look at, you know, the Dublin style or the Munich water uh, profile, that's not what the brewers are actually dealing with anyway because they were modifying, whether it be by recipe or by mineral additions, uh, you know, and they haven't necessarily released that information. So you have to take everything that you read with a grain of salt, and the best thing to do is just pick any target um, no brew according to it, and then adjust based on that. You know, I th- I think or two an- grains of salt. I think another thing that's <laughs> important too is a lot of these beer styles became really popular or famous a long while ago. Yeah. When people were really caring about looking at the water profile, 
is now or you know maybe 20 years ago or something like that but it's a lot of these areas i mean the water profile may stay similar but things change in the area like a lot more people are pulling water out trip. yeah right yeah a lot more people are pulling water out of those aquifers a lot more people are moving in and mm-hmm. more wells are being put in other areas are being changed into floodplains that weren't before that are changing you know the whole water source of your area i mean what people are pulling out right now may not have been what was there 400 years ago when that style of beer was what that area was known for right so i've handed you gentlemen a people grodietska and i'm not sure i'm pronouncing that correctly but it's a historical um it's a historical polish beer put it in google translator see what they say yeah i'm not gonna try that hard (laughs) and this was uh jim coyle's beer yeah not not a fan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's can you tell us why yes um the smoke I, I, okay, comes okay we're gonna we're gonna we're, hold on so i've just handed you a polish code yes <laughs> by an unknown <laughs> why why the, the smoke comes through i mean with the with the sourness and the smoke yep uh, smoke comes through like band-aids to me and the sourness just puts okay, it so th- this is a very his- this is a historical, historic style yep. of the polish area that's slight slight tartness with a smokiness coming through and yep. it's light um yep. so like you're saying the smoke flavor that's coming through on here isn't going to have anything else to work with it's just going to be smoke yep. and i think that's what's coming through it's like you're almost inhaling a piece of charcoal you yep. have that charcoal aroma and the flavor coming through on the back end with a slight little bit of tartness, and then it's just light malt. Right. No, it's it's well made. I mean, don't don't get me all it's, joking aside. No. It's a well made beer, uh, but it's, and it's coming through like if you if you ever gone camping or hiking and taken a charcoal filter and the first runnings of water that come through yeah. that charcoal filter is exactly what I'm tasting here. It's light. It's it's not heavy at all. The, the like you said, Matt, the malt characteristic does not come through at all. It's mostly smoke, and that tartness that comes through in the end, which reminds me of a beer that's made terrible. But this is a style that's made this way, and it's a well-made beer. It's just, uh, it's I'm, yeah. I'm amazed at the different amount of sensitivity that people have towards smoke. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things, like diacetyl. Yeah. Like uh, Neely has an amazing sensitivity to diacetyl, where she'll just put a beer down and be like, "I'm done with this," and she'll ask, and I'll look at her and be like, "Why?" And I'll taste it and I'll go, "Oh, you get diacetyl? I'll drink the rest of that because I don't really get it." And I think smoke is like that too. I don't find this to be so heavily smoked. I don't it either. is. But I, I really like, I think the effervescence on this is pretty mm-hmm. awesome, and I think the lightness and body is pretty awesome. You know, so I, I, I kind of like the beer. I think for this one for myself, going into it, having drank the previous beer that we had, which we actually didn't really talk about too no. much. Um, we had a, a Flanders Red. Um, yeah, from Jason Chang. Uh, we're just going through kind of first and second place beers that we had in, in the back there. Um, it was very tasty, nice, tart beer, but I think that tartness in the back for myself kind of for the tartness in this beer overpowered it right um if i had this one before the other i think it would have come through differently on my palate i think because of the tartness i had on the other beer and the tartness on this one this sourness is not really as much there and i think that it's the smoke character that would normally go with the the sourness the sourness is being muted because of that um and because of that i'm also now the smoke character to me is coming through a little bit heavier. 
Um, the lightness in the background, I think, with smoke and tart would go through really nice, but because the tartness on the back is muted to me and I really don't get it as much, it comes through almost like that spent charcoal. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe um, if we blend it with my sour, dark, mild that we had We earlier, might be able to it, get it, something We'd have the right balance. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's well-made. There's no other off flavors that I'm pulling out of this, um, and I've had one or two other variations of this style, and I think this has been the best of the variations that I've, I've had because the others have had other off flavors that have came through or too much malt character in the background. Um, this is, I think, well-made. But because of the order that I drank beers in, it's one of the things we mentioned before, you know, the order that you come into in a competition, palate fatigue, other little things. It really affects how you're scored and how you're placed based off of when you're drank. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, oftentimes there are uh, guidelines that judges would put in whether or not they would have another beer or they would buy another one at a bar if they had it. I don't think I would. I would probably buy it to try it. Um, but it's just, for me, it's not my thing. Uh, for me, I've been brewing for a very long time, trying to keep most of this stuff out of my beer. Uh, so I'm very <laughs> one-sided when it comes to that. I'm trying to break through to the other side. Um, and I definitely understand the, the flavor profiles that they're supposed to put in. And this actually smells more smoky than flavor, but it comes through to me as charcoal. And not uh, and, and the beer itself is crisp, but the smoke lingers. And it just for me, it's not my type of thing. But that's a cool point that it, it can be so off-putting because you know, phenol, a lot of phenols, a lot of smoky, and, and a lot of sour. Those are things that are like the bad things yeah, right. in beer. But they're also acquired tastes that when they're done with right. balance, they become yeah, the, you know the most sublime yeah. beers that you've had. You right. Know? I. Yeah. I I like how it's put together, but I can kind of see where you're coming through also. It's like I am – I enjoy trying these styles of beers. One of the things that I love doing at the brewery is making all different styles right. because I think there's a beer out there for everybody. Mm-hmm. And trying every style of beer out there I think is is great. I love trying all this stuff, but at the same time I'm very happy this didn't make this to show right. because making 30 barrels of this would be very difficult to sell. <laughs> um, although I would – I wouldn't have a problem putting a pint of it, maybe even a second pint of it down. Um, I know my own palate is few and far between compared to many others. And, you know, who knows? This might go well with a rack of lamb, you know? In the right setting, this could be the most fantastic beer that you've ever had. And then just because we're just pounding left and right here. I mean, just just sitting on this right now and thinking of all the different ways I can do variations off, because that's always what I end up doing with beers. No, this this right here with tea. You do this with tea leaves on the exact same style of beer, I think, would come out Different awesome. beer, yeah, totally different beer. I think maybe this beer was being judged at my fest when they started um, cooking the brats across the yeah. parking lot, <laughs> and the breeze shifted in exactly the right direction. Hey, Matt, is there smoke malt in there? <laughs> Damn it, Carl, there is. There's smoke malt in this beer. <laughs> there is, Grandpa, there is. Grandpa! There's smoke malt in this. On my grandpa's deathbed. Uh, it's over your head, but we talked about Grandpa one day. Uh, okay. And what's this one? This is the Saison. This is Carl. And Carl will explain. This is a pale Super Saison. Super Saison. Mm-hmm. Which means it's above 7%. It's 7. And this was this was 7. a gold? Well, this is a this is a category winner. I don't, gold, I don't know. We just Blue Ribbon. Blue. Blue Ribbon. This blue was... Uh, ribbon. Was that Jitterplatz? No, what's the... Um, 
etched air blots. First Wait, place, I, I, I don't care. Ertz and Plots or something. Esther Plots. <laughs> Esther Plots. Yep, Esther Plots is first place. So this is this this recipe is like the third beer I ever made in my life. And okay. <clears throat> and I've You've only made I've, I've three tried, No, 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 no. What this, I'm trying, what I'm of trying, all the styles I'm, that he's made, this, this one started no, off as the this third. No, this is the made. third beer. I, this is like the third style of beer I ever made in my, my life. It was, it's an all-extract beer, 100%. And it was, and for whatever reason, every time I've ever tried to make this all grain or do anything else with it, people don't like it as much. And I've repeated so it many, many times. So this one also is extract. This one's all extract. And That's okay. bizarre. I've never heard that before. Yep. Awesome. Every time I've ever tried to make it any other way, people don't like it as much. Well, I'm also and the happy two- this one didn't win. Also, then, because it would have been really expensive to make. <laughs> I'm sure you would have been able to tell me why it was. <laughs> I'm sure you would have been able Matt to tell needs me a why thousand it, pounds of why it was like malt extract. No, but so this is uh, this has Pilsen LME, Munich LME, um, wheat, Bavarian wheat LME, turbinado sugar, and table sugar in it, and uh, uh, just a, a two ounces of. Uh, Caramel uh, Munich steeping grains, which is almost useless. Just whenever you did this as all grain, how long did you boil it for? Ninety. Okay. Yeah, I do. I mean, I always do long boils, even when I shouldn't. Quote, unquote, I almost feel like with this one, because of the DM, the uh, the extracts that you use on this, mm-hmm. I almost feel like if you did this as a two hour, two and a half hour on a all all grain right you'd get similar flavors to this okay so go real long boil i would go a long boil yeah. and then back and then add water back in to hit your gravity at the end sure, if sure, you boil sure. down yeah but definitely when you add your water back in do it as either reverse osmosis water or just distilled and the other lesson that i've learned is you've got to use absolutely positively um the uh the white labs french saison yeast mm-hmm and you start 68, and you end at 80, and you get to 80 pretty fast. Like how fast? Like four days to 80 degrees. And then you just let it sit at 80 for a while until, it's, until it gets down to like... Now did you, do you just have til, a til thermometer? Until it gets down to like 003, 004. Now, do you just have a thermometer on the side of your fermenter, or do you have it in a temperature-controlled box that will start cooling at 80? I have it... Uh, I can chill. I can chill my. Uh, I can chill my wort down to about sixty-four with tap water. Yeah. With, uh, just, just so I'm saying in terms chiller. of once it starts fermenting. So, so then I put it into a, uh, a converted uh, chest freezer with a temperature controller on it and okay. a temp and a, and just stick a, a temperature probe on the side of the uh, okay. fermenter. Yeah. And Nobody I have this. both a heat. I have a heat lamp, which is just a light bulb, as inside of the uh, inside of chest freezer. So the chest freezer either flips on for, for to chill. Or right heat. or flips on the light to heat it up, and so okay. when I made this, I, the, the light was on most of the time actually, because okay. it was probably only about sixty something degrees in the basement. Okay. Yeah. And it's gone. It's, it's gone. Good. No, this is good. So you, uh, while you were talking, I was going, "This beer sucks." Good. Well, no well, I, I could expect no <laughs> You couldn't hear anything, so you will hear it on the yeah. recording, though. I'm sure. I'll just mute. Um, out. You know what, Warren? You do know that there's a reason there's four microphones here. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, know. Anytime no, I, I got you. No. And that's why Don't the beer is gone. Don't forget the producer gets the final say. <laughs> no, what's funny is uh, Carl's like, I need this, this, and this. Because I don't normally carry that. Yeah, I asked him for three extracts that he doesn't carry any of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's special order, and I don't, I don't <laughs> stock it. I carry yeah. it. I don't stock yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then he's like the French saison. I'm like French saison. Jesus Christ. 
So I went in and got the French design, but I can te- definitely see that that works really well it's against a really this piece. It does. It's a fantastic it's very piece. Nice. And that's, yep. you know, first generation. I've never done multi-generations on it, so. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Unlike I need Robert. three packages. Yeah. I'm like, just <laughs> buy one and make a start. He's like, screw that. It's so I know. expensive. It, the point is. How, had, big of, how big of a batch was it? Five, five, five it was five? Five, five, yeah, five gallons. Because I know you did several. You did several batches. Oh, I have done other? several batches over over the years. No, I mean like several batches for the competition. Oh, yeah. This I, was one of them. This then. was one of them. I, yeah, I did, I did a British Mild, which didn't do well. I did a uh, a New England IPA that I entered into uh, American Strong Ales and, and uh, uh, won that category. And then uh, this one that won this Funny, category. Eric, my brother-in-law, took second in American Strong. Yeah, well, his beer's in the fridge right now. You, it's in there? Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it, so that's yeah, cool. Good. Yeah, I'll have it later. Yeah, it's uh, so. But Unless the American, you guys have but it now. at the at the best of show table, what they said about the, what they said about the American strong was, well, this New England IPA is too much like an IPA. It's not an American strong, and I'm like, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> the best the best comment I ever heard was somebody who had an eight year old beer. One of the judges says, "You might want to age this a little longer," <laughs> without knowing it was eight yeah. years old. You know. Yeah. What's the thing? Yeah. You want to hear the comments without them yeah. knowing all the info. Right, right. It's all subjective. All right, boys. We've got uh, the designated good. driver here for Mr. Robert. I don't think we want to make her wait all night long. Although, you know, we should uh, crack open a beer and have her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, how was the meal? That was all right. Where'd you eat? Um, oh. Okay. That's why she said it was all right. All right. <laughs> well, you should come here when the college is back in business. It's all teeny boppers over there. But no. Well, so Mark from Beam Callis. Good selection from from <laughs> uh, good selection of beers. Before we finish up, let one. me let me put in a plug for the nope the state fair competition. Absolutely. Oh, yes. um, entries open. I think it's this coming Saturday. Um, volunteer entries are open right now. So if you'd like to steward or judge, you can go to scubabrewclub.com and register as a volunteer. Um, and then the entry registra- registration starts on Saturday. Uh, the competition itself, the judging is July 29th, and the award ceremony is August 5th at the State Fair. Um, everyone who volunteers gets a selection of amazing prizes. Um, it's a great competition. We had 340 entries last year. We're going to have more this year. Um, and the state fair is the third and final competition in the New Jersey homebrew club of the year competition of which my fest was the second qualifier and Motown mash, uh, back in November was the first qualifier. So right now, um, mash is in first place for the club of the year. Scuba is in second place, and New Jersey Hops is in third place. Everything can change on this final competition um, uh, at the New Jersey State Fair. And the award is a corny keg full of beer from the previous year's winner, which was the Mash Club. I believe they're putting a sour red ale in the keg that gets passed on like the Stanley Cup to the the new winner. So if you're in a club, um, it's... Enter as many beers as you possibly can because the competition is really tough. So, so if Mash wins, they actually gift themselves their own beer. They gift themselves their own beer. But what are the chances of Mash winning? 
They're in first place right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, they they put forth such a great effort, um, and they did really well at uh, my fest. Do we know what the spread is between clubs? It's I think it's about thirty points uh, in Mash's favor, which is like a best of show and like nine gold medals or something like that. Um, but I, I was looking at the stats, and NJ Hops um, had more had the most award-winning brewers. There were 11 brewers from NJ Hops that took medals at MyFest. There was was a lot of people also at NJ Hops that were entering beers that they originally were telling themselves, I don't think I'm going to win, but I'm going to enter them anyway. And they were like dumbfounded at the fact that they won gold on some of them. And I think it's just, you know, your, confidence your have, co- critic, yeah. Yeah. confidence you have in your own beer. You are your own worst critic, and you know, put this in. See the see the results you're going to get out of this stuff. I mean, there's there's no harm in entering a beer into a competition. The Absolutely worst that's going to happen is you're going to learn something. And you know, uh, I think that that's also the power of a club. We had a uh, a guy uh, Walter came to the a scuba meeting last month, and he brought a Hefeweizen that was so phenomenal that we all looked at him and said, "Hey, new guy." You should enter this beer under scuba. And sure enough, he entered and he won, I think it was a gold medal, uh, with a Hefeweizen at the encouragement of club members. So if you're not in a club, but you brew, and there's a club nearby, which these days anywhere uh, locally, there is a club nearby, go out and join that club. I mean, I also, I I had an old ale that I was not going to enter, but a couple of club members, I brought it to a club meeting, they said, enter it. It got a medal. So, like, you need other palates, uh... All I can say is that a, a club involvement is really important, you know. And I think that um, th- we've got a we've got three big competitions in North Jersey right now, and I think that those competitions themselves are bringing the clubs together. And it's a really cool time right now to see that kind of integration, uh, to be at my fest and to see NJ Hops um, and the other clubs in the area have such strong representation. It was really a good yeah, day. Yeah, the camaraderie it was that really was good day. Was, it was really yeah. cool to see. And um, so I'm going to throw this out there for two things I want to talk about. One, really, really quick and briefly. I know we're running out of time. Um, Oktoberfest is coming up in the fall. And uh, Hackensack is going to put it up in Oktoberfest, but what I'd like to see, and I got to cooperate with you and with with Mash, is to see if we can get an intra club competition with just those three clubs, uh, and have a team of people from each club brew an Oktoberfest, and have that Oktoberfest be judged by the two people that are involved in the Hackensack Oktoberfest, which is Matt and uh, Joe, and see what club would win the October the best Oktoberfest out of the clubs. I love so, it. So you want me and Joe to drink like ninety October? No, 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 no. It's a collaboration, it's a collaboration brew. brew within the oh, club. Okay. So, so there's three. Three. Okay. three three clubs. I was worried that you had me drink no. like everybody's Oktoberfest. No, that's a different game. Like, that's a different I'm like I'm pretty busy on October. That's a different You're competition. And the other thing is I want to bring this up I'm gonna start some shit right now. Um, you were uh, a oh, dual member of shit. both Mash and Scuba. I'm I'm trans clubist, and now uh, we accept all sort of like Zigmeister. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we accept the, the LGBTQ uh, community over at Zigmeister. LGBTQB, um, whatever that is. Yeah, Brewer. Yes. Um, so uh, that day that you won the best of show, you took a stance. And said, I am with... 
Uh, no, I, I mean... Because they were like, oh! <laughs> I, was, I told you I was going to start some shit tonight. Um, no, I, di- I didn't necessarily take a stance. There was a whole context to it that uh, uh, you had been calling me out on wearing a scuba shirt and a mask <laughs> shirt. And then at some point you said, well, you should see his NJ Hops underwear. Yes, I did. Um, I did. <laughs> and what I decided to do, maybe I was I was a little too happy about... Winning prizes, uh, but what I decided to do was um, start Proved to strip that down. No, it was all good. Around. It's all um, good fun. No, but I mean, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I have, uh, I'm Yelly. a member of of several clubs, um, and I've represented in competition for. The reason that I am a, com- I'm not a competitive person. The reason that I enter competitions Bullshit. is to, mm-hmm. <laughs> is, 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 to is to drive. I've, I've run. It's to I, tell I've, the rest I've, of you motherfuckers how inferior you are. I knew this was going to be a hard moment. <laughs> of course it was going to be. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I started entering the state fair over t- ten years ago, um, and I've always thought it was a great thing just to unite people. Um, so I, I, I then became the coordinator of the state fair competition. And all I wanted to do was get all these people together. Mm-hmm. I, I, like you forget what it was like right. five, you know, six years no, ago. It wasn't it was like, like nope. this. We didn't have multiple clubs. We didn't have multiple homebrew shops. I used to drive out to Patterson to Corrado's to get oh, my supplies. Yeah, mine was now all of a Keystone sudden. Homebrew supply. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden things are different and it's great. And I think that it's awesome that we do have multiple clubs and there's a lot of overlap and there's some people. People like you guys, like you know, like Warren, like that are that are bringing everyone together so that we have this like really great scene. And I see not like every every meeting I go to, whether it's Mash, whether it's Scuba, I see new people showing up, and it's because of the efforts that a lot of key individuals throughout North Jersey have been putting in, right. and it's just gratifying. It so is, it's you so know, cool to see. Like I'm yeah. on the same page as you. Just education, education, education. Getting people together to brew, and that's the more we do things like the Big Brew Day together. Like I wish we had more of a liaison between clubs, so we can know what's going on with your club, what's going on with Mash, and where you're meeting. Because on, honestly, everyone's involved in NJ Hops. They want to know what NJ Hops is doing, but there's not really one individual who's going. Okay, well, there's Scuba who's meeting at this brewery, and someone yeah. from NJ Hops might want to go to that brewery and be like, "Yeah, hey, I'm going to go over there." and Knowing you or knowing people from Scuba, it makes it that easier, that much easier to go out there. And it's happening. Yes, yeah, it it's, is. It's happening, although be it a snail's pace, it's happening. And people are, we're just, it's one big family. It really it is. is. There's, a, there's a lot of uh, overlap between clubs, and it's great to see, and it's exciting to be a part of. Yeah, and thanks for your part. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, Robert, if I need to commission some art or have an artist in residence, where might I go for that? Uh, well, it, well, I mean, there's different types of art, but probably the most important is stained glass art. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you've been on the internet recently, but uh, there has been a viral um, thread of stained glass sure. art. You can go to, what is it, stainedglasscabin.com to see the work of Neely Cooper, who has built an amazing installation piece in our backyard. It's a 10 by 12, whatever it is, the zoning board. Don't listen to this. 10 by 12. 10 by 12. Uh, sta- it's, it's 10 by 12 centimeters, right? Centimeters. Um, Unknown it's, units. It's a cabin made entirely of stained glass. It's 10 by 12 stone. 
Well, you, you, you only Here have to worry about the three <laughs> listeners anyway, so go ahead and um, look it away. But yeah, uh, Neely uh, is has uh, gotten great renown. She was on like MarthaStewart.com and Design Sponge and Colossal. And you've probably seen her on your Facebook uh, um, uh, feed. But if you're looking for stained glass, get in touch with scubabrewclub.com. Volunteer for the New Jersey State Fair competition, and we'll get you some stained glass. And how do you volunteer for the state competition? Uh, uh, You can register online, scubabrewclub.com. And you have unlimited entries as far as uh, how many categories. 32 uh, entries per brewer. And what's the cost? Oh, wait. I totally forgot about this. Let me promote this. It's eight bucks per entry. Um, the winner, as always, um, this competition was started by Crow's Brew Pub in Sparta. The best of show brewer um, does a, a a brew at Crow's, which is they then give you a little commercial release party, which I've been to for the past uh, couple of years. It's always a really good time at the brew pub. And Angry Eric Brewing in Lafayette is also doing a brewer's choice. Um, we've got to we've got to post the categories, but Angry Eric will be choosing from like seven or eight different categories. Just Brewer's Choice, you'll be invited to brew uh, there as well. And we've also got some other co-brews um, in the works that we'll announce uh, probably with Zigmeister or someone like that. Um, and no, that's just a joke. Um, but we've got <laughs> we've got some other ones in the works. Um, go to the website and uh, you'll you'll see that. And last thing, we have a new category called the New Jersey pride category these are beers this is a non-bjcp category uh these are beers that for whatever reason you feel represent new jersey um and uh you know a little water out of the newark river you could do that you know whether cranberry Cranberry has been discussed (laughs) taylor ham has been discussed um uh, recipes based on Springsteen Sorry, lyrics have been hand discussed. Hand That's an entirely new category. Um, we're going to have a special prize for that as well. So if you have a New Jersey-inspired beer, we're judging non-BJCP, partially concept, partially execution. Uh, the rules are all up on the website. Awesome. Cool. Um, and on that note, you reminded me, um, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, the winner of the Mayfest competition, the Das Boot. Das Boot winner will be uh, showcasing his beer. On yes, he will be. So uh, there will be brewage at the brewery. <laughs> there will be thirty barrels of it's, Roberts. It's got to be beer. fourth generation yeast. It's got to <laughs> well, be. Well, I don't. I, <laughs> we're gonna, it, that's it, why I don't get it. So. It won't be fourth generation because I haven't made that many pilsners with this one yeast yet. But as long as schedules work out, it probably will be the first beer to go into one of the new tanks. Ooh. So you, there we go. one of the, the two new tanks that are coming in, one of them, the first beer to go into it will more than likely be yours. Well, it's an honor to have the opportunity to brew at your place because I think it's awesome there. So I'm happy to even be invited. So thank you, thank you for that. Of course. Congratulations. On that note, I think we are concluding... So say goodnight, boys. Uh, goodnight. Good night. <laughs> Boy, the enthusiasm in this place. Cut! I need more beer. <laughs>
question is if if you're on a beach and you're having sex with what you thought to be your girlfriend and your girlfriend turns out to be a man your paramour not your girlfriend your paramour, your paramour. Of, the, of the night so of the, of the night okay so your 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 meetup from the night would you finish hmm. yeah Did i finish my beer no <laughs> finish the act <laughs> I think my answer was good enough. I, <laughs> I got big plums.